Welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. And I am Dr. Anton Graham, the late Dr. Anton Graham, actually. How have you been? I've been better. (laughs) (laughs) I was was just being polite. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I was wondering if we'd remember how to do this. It feels like it's been ages. It has. We have been on hiatus due to many factors, including my move, my official final move back to the real world of New York. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's been difficult and, and time consuming. Luckily, we had some episodes in the bank and we haven't missed a week yet. Good for us. Yes, Pat on the back. Tonight, what are we going to talk about tonight? Oh, tonight we are going to talk about the wonderful Richard Matheson, I believe, 1971 novel, Hell House. Richard Matheson, born 1926, died 2013, served in World War II, uh, a real writer's writer. Absolutely. His, uh, his list of... of short stories and novels and the, you know, the, the number of them that have been translated into other, um, uh, uh, other media like movies or television shows is remarkable. I mean, it's just all over the place and has probably written either the screenplay for or one of his stories or novels was the basis of so many movies, it's it's amazing. And as you said, I, my opinion, just a great writer. Just really knows how to put sentences together, knows how to drive stories along, understands plot. Everything you want to want out of a writer, I think he is. This guy wrote short stories, film ad- adaptations, TV. You know, he's famously, um, uh, including, not limited to, but including... Uh, numerous Twilight Zone episodes that that people know and and love. Uh, TV film. He he wrote the script for the two Night Stalker, the Kolchak Night Stalker movies. Oh, did he really? I didn't yes. realize he wrote both of them. Yeah. In, wow. in addition to some well-known novels, I Am Legend, of course. People are probably most familiar with I Am Legend because it it has been adapted a number of times, and of course, you know the the last time starred Will Smith. Mm-hmm. The Incredible Shrinking Man, The Stir of Echoes. Um, he wrote science fiction, horror, westerns. Yeah. Just a real, real writer's writer. And I, I um, if we want to talk about it now, I agree. His prose, it's clear, it's concise, it's economical. One of the complaints you had about Mario Puzo was, stop telling me and show me. <laughs> he doesn't fall into that trap. Uh, you, you, you learn you learn about the characters through their dialogue and, and their actions. Uh, really, um, and I would recommend anybody who wants to write, especially novels, whether you like horror, horror stories or not, and this one is a horror story, um, read uh, some Matheson, and I think you'll get a good, good understanding of what people mean when they say, show, don't tell, write clear, concise prose. Uh, my Nook version of Hell House was 200 pages. Yeah, um, you know, you know, because he needed that amount of time to tell the story, and that's all he needed. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think I think a really good example of that is I Am Legend, which has spawned so much. I think you'd you'd struggle to call it a novel. I mean, I think it you you know probably more a novella. Same thing with Stir of Echoes. I think today probably yeah, you, not uh, not something that you would necessarily consider a novel. I think Hell House probably, but but I think those two um, probably you know you would you would describe them as novellas. Yeah, yeah. Someone who's uh, obsessed with categorizing things might might say, <laughs> "Hey, this is." This isn't 800 pages long. It must be, it must be a novella. We're uh, exactly. going to talk about Hell House. This was unabashedly Matheson's homage to Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. He, he made no bones about it. Loved the material and said, okay, thank you, Shirley. Now, you, now let's see what I can do with it. Yes. And, and he's not the only one. Stephen no, King, no, no. King did that with Rose Red. And, you know, as much as it seems kind of, you know, old, you know, you know, nothing like nothing original today. I'm not sure there was much in the way of um, I heard someone call. I believe it was the Castle of Horror podcast and bunch of people really really nice people really fun podcasts and all they do is talk about horror movies mm. not not books and it's strictly horror not like what we do but nice group of people they're all professionals one's a you know published author um they were talking about the movie version of this that starred you know roddy mcdowell clyde revel um uh, pamela forget, franklin right yeah and honeycutt i forget her first name yeah it was pamela franklin um he called this a. Uh, he, he's like, I love this movie. I, I love a haunted house expedition movie, and that's that was a great. I, I thought a great description of what Hell House is. It's an expedition, yeah, not just to a haunted house, but the the Everest, the Mount Everest, Everest of haunted houses. Yeah. Yes, and and I think you could say, I mean, I think, I think you could you could make the argument that this is the Everest of haunted house novels. Um, I know that Stephen, I, I was I, preparing for this. I was just kind of looking for some reviews of the novel and a number of them. I saw Stephen King being quoted as, and I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe you have it as this is kind of, this is it. Everything else really pales in comparison to this novel. Now that might, who knows how old that quote was, but I certainly don't know personally these two, the Shirley Jackson novel and this Richard Matheson novel, I, I can't think of a better pair of horror novels, let alone haunted, you know, that more narrow, you know, haunted house novels um, than those two. Yeah, I, it, you know, it's funny too, Matheson, don't know how much of a household name he is. I think people would know his, the title of some of his works, but I am legend. You know, up until I Am Legend, the vast majority of vampire stories were pretty much in the Dracula mold. Mm. And, you know, he just took that and instead of doing a, you know, a Dracula-based kind of vampire story, you know, this is my reaction to vampires. This is what I'm going to do. And he's the one who injected all this kind of uh, science-y type stuff. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. no longer supernatural it's there's you know it's no longer 
you know, something, you know, spiritual may not be the right word, uh, but it's no longer this kind of supernatural. That they live uh, beyond the dark forest, you know, in, yeah. in, in in Eastern Europe. It's like, no, this is kind of more, much more science based. Yeah, and and it's interesting because if you read A Story of Echoes, I Am Legend, um, Hell House. Um, not sure about others. The the main characters in all of those books, or some subset of main characters in all of those books, are scientists. They're physicists. They're chemists. Right? They're they're people who are yes. rooted in what we would kind of describe it as as the real world, yeah. and they contend with something that either um, is supernatural or or not. And what's interesting, I think, about Hell House, one of the one of the reasons I really appreciate the book is that he kind of he he takes the approach, I I think, in this novel, when you get done reading it, I think he takes the approach that in his universe, there is nothing, quote, supernatural about um you know, this haunted house, that it is rooted in natural phenomena, just natural phenomena that we don't quite understand. It's certainly one of the main characters' um, perspective on it in, in a little bit more of an extreme way. But what's nice about his, you know, those, those in particular, those novels that I just kind of listed off is that he really does try to kind of blend those two worlds together um, and I think does so in a generally in a very effective way. I think all three of them do it in an effective way. Yeah, I agree. Stir of Echoes, as I like the movie, but the book is interesting too. Yeah. The protagonist in the book is like an aeronautical engineer living right. in Southern California in the 50s. Right. Yeah. It's not, almost like a, a my, it could be yeah. my three sons, <laughs> you know, right. Fred McMurray type of guy. Yeah. And he does something in Stir of Echoes, and we'll talk about that later. I just kind of want to hit upon that later once we talk about what I find very unique about Hell House, but I'll give a little background here because I mm. love the background to this story. Um, uh, I love it. He doesn't spend, you know, a hundred pages talking about this. You get this fairly early on and there are four people, a scientist, two mediums and the scientist's wife. Um, and they are going to the Mount Everest of Haunted Houses up in Maine, about six mi miles from Caribou Falls, Maine, which does not exist. I, I looked it up. It does not exist. Um, to Belasco House. This was a house built by Emmerich Belasco. And this guy, this Belasco guy, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bastard child of, I think, an actress... Well, that's, I don't really like that word. Um, born out of wedlock to an actress, I think a, a munitions manufacturer. Yes, a munitions manufacturer. <laughs> Somehow gets gets left like ten plus million dollars early on. We're talking turn of the century, right? Builds a massive house, and uh, I think the I think at some point they say the Great Hall is something like. 40 yards long 
and, and like you know, forty feet wide or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a massive house. It is. It's massive. I mean, there were a ton, You know, there were twenty-seven people living there <laughs> at one point. So yeah, I mean, we're we're talking. Yeah, yeah not not my uh, n- not even you know um, uh, Tom Petty's you know summer house on the on the coast of, in Florida. I mean, we're talking about massive. I'm just thinking of the heating bills. Um, English manor side. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's in a valley up in Maine. Um, built in 1919. And initially, I mean, feel free to jump in when you want, but initially, um, it becomes something of an artist's retreat. Um, and the longer, you know, it's isolated and it eventually turns into much more of this hedonistic pleasure palace. <laughs> and then it, c- it continues to devolve into like sexual depravity um, all the way to like, you know, people are just doing whatever they want, including yes. murdering each other, eating each other. Yes. Um, there's an outbreak of, was it typhus or something? So he, he, he bricks up the, windows breaks up the windows like a like a las vegas casino (laughs) yeah yeah and he kind of kind of steps back he is not taking part in in all this and it's really atrocious behavior i mean (laughs) people are just wandering around they're not they're not eating much anymore they're not you know their clothes are just i mean the mental picture he paints of this place is Scare! It's truly horrifying on its own. So, yeah, because it's rooted in you could see, you know, about human nature, right? You could actually see. see, I'm not so sure it hasn't happened, but right. um, He even talks about vampirism at one time, like they're drinking each other's blood. Yeah, and this goes on until 1929, and um, his family members get concerned. They send people up. I think just about everyone, when they break in, everyone's dead and Belasco's is gone. Dead. Yeah, everyone's dead, Belasco's gone. And, and that's and, and 1929. Just, yeah, and just to, just to add just a little bit, because the, the, the background, you know, Emmerich is, Emmerich Belasco, incidentally, not to be confused with the Emmerich Belasco in the Harry Potter universe, the 14th century wizard <laughs> um, and in in Gryffindor House alum uh, as well, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, not that Emmerich Belasco. This is a different Emmerich Belasco. Um, he was kind of the implication is kind of that he was born bad because as a youth he was doing horrible things. I think like he he was he raped and beat his sister when he was like ten or something like that Mur- murdered a cat before that um right um, yeah I mean, yeah i mean yeah killed a man in reno right um, and also known as before i forget also known as one of the things is the roaring giant he was supposed to be extremely tall extremely tall very 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 large man yeah but he was you know he always had this sense of the i'm not going to say macabre but the the sense of of kind of letting those base impulses go. And that was, that was what the house kind of evolved into and what he allowed to have, or, or not just allowed, but, but promoted to happen while he kind of started to step back and, and simply kind of watch. He was also supposed to have a very, 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 very 
persuasive personality, very charismatic, and he could bend people to his will quite easily. So he's this kind of monstrous human being, perhaps in another age becomes a Genghis Khan, right? Kind of a thing. Or a congressman. Or a congressman uh, in the 21st century in the United States, yes. Um, yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible things went on in the Belasco house. And yeah, all yeah. boarded up and, and, and they broke in and, and everyone, everyone was dead. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. And then... Uh, it flashed. Just, What's that? Well, well, then, just to continue with the history of the house to get us to our people. Flash forward. <laughs> just a couple of years. In 1931, there was an attempted investigation of the house. I think it was maybe five people. How'd that go? Not well. <laughs> Did um, everyone in that one die? Everyone in that one died. All five people died. Um, of course, not, not, you know, because our memories are so good. They turn around in 1940. <laughs> yes. They go back. And including Dr. Anton Graham, uh, who I am tonight, um, four went in 19, I think it was four went in 1940. And similarly, although not quite the same, I think all of them died except for one who is at the time of the Lost. novel, which is 1970, is Lost. in a... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah so 1941... In, in... Yeah, 1941, four or five people go back. Not all die, but only right. one comes out who doesn't need to go to uh, uh, an asylum. Right. One ends up in an asylum. One wanders Benjamin, off. One wander well wanders off into the woods and dies. I, did they ever? They found him. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wandered into the wood and died, and then one um, woman slit her own throat. Slit her own throat. Uh, one, I think, had a heart attack. Um, and then fifth was it like fifteen year old Benjamin Franklin Fisher was found naked on the steps. Yes, shivering and whimpering. Shivering and whimpering. <clears throat> so flash forward to nineteen seventy, and a one percenter named Deutsch, a big, uh, you know, CEO of whatever, big rich guy, <clears throat> is on his deathbed. Deutsch Corp. <laughs> a subsidiary of Deutsche Corp. <laughs> uh, he h hires Lionel Barrett, a physicist, right? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the one of his degrees is in physics. He wants an answer: yes or no. Is there something after after death? <clears throat> what better place to do it than the house he's recently purchased, Belasco House? Right. Um, uh, but Deutsch Barrett, is not uh, Deutsch is not uh, Deutsch is not um, putting all of his eggs in the Barrett basket though no um, he has to take well he has to take some mediums and one of them is so we'll go through the characters right you got mm. Lionel Barrett uh, suffered from polio when he was younger yes. he's physically Physically damaged, walks with a limp, um, sexually impotent, but you never know if it's like kind of full on or maybe uh, a bit more to it than that. But he's not he, he's at least at the very least physically, physically not whole. 
Right. His wife um, is going to go, even though he doesn't want her to, because she is something of wife slash mother to him. Yes. She's not interested in any of this. She's his wife. She's not a scientist herself, but she pampers him and is basically afraid to be alone. She's a she's afraid to be alone. She's he's definitely a father figure to her to a certain yes. degree. Um, she's um, but she also assists him. So she's been on paranormal investigations with him in the past. Yes. So she, this is not uh, this is not something that she's she's never experienced. But he, as he says, this is the Mount Everest of haunted houses, and it has this history. So he kind of wants her not to go, but she insists. Um, and uh, yeah, she's a, she is definitely subs- subservient, not the quite the right word, but she has tied herself emotionally and psychologically to being with him. Yes. She's not an independent career woman. Right. Um, I like her. She's a, she's a fine character. Good character, yeah. Um, then we have the mediums. Um, he's supposed to bring a couple mediums <clears throat> and he chooses Florence Tanner, a former actress. Well, he doesn't choose Deutsch chooses. Deutsch. That's right. Deutsch. Because um, Deutsch's people tell him that they're the best in their field. Yeah. One is a, a, a mental medium, Florence Tanner. She was the actress who left Hollywood and now is a pastor in her own church. Yes. Um, yeah, I was getting a little bit of a, like Amy Semple McPherson vibe there. And I, I don't know anything about this. I guess a mental medium is just that they communicate, you know, a spirit guide will communicate through them. And it's her, whatever she does is basically verbal. Right. And then we have Benjamin Franklin Fisher, the sole survivor, well, the, the, the person who survives. Um, Mentally and physically, uh, from the 41 expedition. Right. He's a physical medium, which I suppose means that um, he can manifest um, physical displays of the spiritual world or something. Maybe poltergeisty type stuff, I guess. Um, and so the four of them, are, they, they're going to drive up to Maine. They're going for like five days, December 18th to December 23rd. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And uh, are they each supposed to get a hundred grand with they, a, if they come back with an answer? They each get a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy seventy one. Not yeah. a bad payday. No. And and, he wants an answer. Deutsch wants an answer. He doesn't care if it's yes or no, but he wants an answer. None of this like we simply don't know type of thing. And it's interesting. His question I thought was really good. His question. I think is, is there survival? Is there survival? Yeah. Yeah. Not life. Yeah. Not something survival. Yeah. Is there survival? Now, I want to talk um, a bit about Barrett, because I think once we get to the meat of the story, um, we don't have to go through every single thing that happens. And mm-hmm. it, it's a, a series of events happens. And we can talk about like maybe our, whatever kind of favorite bits. favorite yeah. bits or what struck you as interesting. But I want to make sure like I explain this right. And if I don't feel free to hop in, 
Barrett does not believe in ghosts or the supernatural worlds. But that doesn't mean he doesn't believe things happen. So he takes the position that essentially hauntings, um, uh, anything along those lines, you know, something is happening, but it's energy. It's like electromagnetic radiation mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't have a personality doesn't have a mind doesn't have an intent but there are certain people who kind of bring their own baggage to a place where that energy may have been um, uh, bad things may have happened so the energy is kind of negative and certain people who are sensitive to these things actually you know, not frauds or anything, unbeknownst to them, um, these kind of sensitive people, uh, you know, in combination with the energy, are making things happen. And based upon the, and what happens is oftentimes based upon kind of the, the emotional baggage the medium brings to the situation. Is that kind of essentially? I think that's take? yeah. I think that's a great that's a that's a great summary of 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 his of his position. It's that notion of kind of residual psychic energy, which he has identified as electromagnetic magnetic radiation, but it is directionless. There's no right for him. The answer to Deutsch's question is a I'm going to call it a qualified no. Because I think, as he puts it, there is no personality to it. It's just mindless, random energy. Right. 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 So there is, in a sense, survival of that energy, but not survival associated with a personality. And as you said, these hauntings that happen, these occurrences, he fully accepts the reality of them, as long as they're demonstrated from a scientific method to have occurred, which he has done. And he, he, he accepts other investigations from, that, are, that have been done scientifically, and he does some during the course of the story. But he does not associate them with any sort of a, our classic sense of a haunting, of there being some um, will behind it, uh, other than the will that is brought by the observer, the medium, uh, physical or mental, who, as you say, um, manifests some uh, perspective based on their own backgrounds and experience, that manifestation then becomes their proof for what they, quote, see in the house. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, as it were, uh, when it comes to the mediums. I like it. It's a really nuanced... A lot of times you'll see the scientist is just a skeptic. Right. Just pure and simple. He His his take is a little more... I, I, I find it a little more unique. So yeah. if, if a... If a... You know... If a chair goes flying across the room, he doesn't deny that happened. And he doesn't deny it was caused by energy in the house. He would just deny that there was any intense or intelligence or anything uh, supernatural. He basically, other than the mediums. Other, other than, than, other than the, mediums. the mediums. Right. 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 Who may be doing it com- com- kind of not consciously. In exactly. Some right. 
If they're not frauds, they're not doing it consciously, basically. Um, and so he would take the position that none of this is supernatural because mm-hmm. it's all natural. Exactly. And science... Like either, orange juice. It's all right, natural. It's all natural. Science either has an answer for this or will one day have an answer for this. Right. So there cannot... So it's almost axiomatic. There can be nothing supernatural. Yes. And that's our fun-loving Lionel Barrett. Who, yes. Who also brings a machine with him, which we can talk about later, because I found yes. that that kind of, that how that weaves into everything was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they uh, they drive up to the house. Uh, we have Edith, his wife, who we talked yeah. about. So and, and just just quickly on on Edith, kind of true to form, true to character. She believes what her husband tells her. She has complete faith in him at the beginning of the book anyway, yeah. that yeah. what he says is right, that he's super smart and he is super smart. Right. And, and so she's kind of right there with him. She supports him in, in his, his perspective. Uh, it doesn't, however, mean that she doesn't experience fear. She doesn't have her own cognition and thinks through things in her own ways, but she will defer right to, her husband's perspective on these things almost well verbally yes always always verbally always verbally (laughs) maybe not always (laughs) in action yeah sometimes (laughs) and sometimes in her head she'll contradict him but but let it go yes and we talked about florence is this very very uh she is the mental medium like i said she's a former actress who now is religious very spiritual and she's a gung-ho She's like all in gung ho. Is going to do good by by figuring out what's going on in Belasco House and helping any spirits there um, come to rest and and you know go over to the other side type of thing. She's this really all in. Um, and then Ben is the survivor of the 1941 expedition, and he's going. He wants the hundred grand, but he's going to stay closed off to all of this until. You know, possibly he figures out what's going on. He's not going to open himself up to any of this crap. So it's interesting. So his so let, let me pause a little bit. So um, Florence T- Tanner is number one, an optimist. She yeah. has in, <laughs> right. I mean, she has enduring faith. Right. And she has goodwill. Yes. Right. I mean, she she really wants to help, and and she's very respectful of Barrett, at least early on, um, even though they view the world very differently. Right. So she's she's this kind of very very positive, optimistic um, individual, and does, as you said, throws herself fully into the the project. Fisher um, was a um, superstar when he was a kid, right? He was dragged all around the country by his mother doing demonstrations of his psychic abilities, right? He was the suit. He gets recruited to do this investigation of the Belasco house, um, which almost kills him. And then for 45 years, he kind of withdraws from that society. 30, 30, 30, 30, 30 years. years. Sorry. It kind of withdraws from that 
society and kind of shuts himself off. So when he's going up to the house, he is, and kind of Barrett kind of views him as, you know, a broken human, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's just not engaging. In some ways, he is broken. Yeah. Uh, has a bit of a tough life afterwards, got involved in some fraud. Yep. But he's really, he's not solely going for the money, but he's the one, um, he is... He's not, an op- he's not an optimist. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he goes in knowing how powerful the house is and in some respects how everyone else with him, <laughs> the other three are fools. Yeah. Um, uh, but he wants the money and I th- he kind of does. There are hints that he's got unfinished business there, but primarily he's not so sure he wants to finish that business. Yeah. Um, Very you know, cautious. And they go, they they go up, they go up to the house. Um, some electricity is our generator has been put in for them. There's a telephone in the in the front hallway that's kind of been uh, put there for them. A couple from town will be. They won't stay, but they'll be delivering their food. Yep. And they're gonna stay up there for a couple days, and and they get going. And you know, they they check out the house, of course, once they get there, and then. Um, Essentially, what happens is a, there's a series of events for everyone, um, and we don't have to go through certainly not all of them, uh, but they sit for what did they call them readings or the sitting? Sitting, yeah, they call them sit- sittings. A sitting, a sitting with Florence, the mental yeah. medium, she and her spirit, the, the spirit that inhabits her is a native american right and um initially it's like the when she starts speaking through the spirit it's me no like a house right me no and i just have like i'm like that's really it i is this like is this a joke or is this <laughs> 1970 but in fact one of the characters calls it out later on yes so we kind of know that Mathis is not not like an idiot, yeah. Who, who, who and this is his version of an actual actual indigenous person, um. But um, so yeah, there's a there's a couple sitting. I, I there's a couple sittings. There's tension between Barrett and Florence Tanner, and almost automatically, like they're not there all that long. That that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Florence Tanner believes she is now in contact with Belasco's son, Daniel. Yes. And this becomes one of her kind of, he's the spirit that's causing the problems. If we can find him and give him a consecrated burial. Well, he is a spirit that is causing problems. He, I don't think that she necessarily thinks he's the only one. But she's on a... not. It, I mean, she certainly doesn't towards the end, and but I don't think so at the at the beginning. But it's something she latches on to. She does latch on to it, and she it, that this becomes her thing. Yeah. Um. We should also point out that the the house has a pool and a, a steam room in the basement. Pool, steam room. Which it also has a tarn out front, which is. Did, did you know what a tarn was, or did you have to look it up? I had to look it up. It's kind of... <laughs> 
I read a lot about Scotland, and they always mention tarns, and all it turns out to be is like a mountain, lake, or pond. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But this one's Why kind of, English has so many words for the same thing. The one, this one, by the bridge you cross over to finally get to the house, it's kind of like fetid, swampy, it's this, this smells awful, and Fisher calls it bastard tarn. Or something like that. No, that bog. Bastard bog. Yes. That's where they threw um, the children that were produced, uh, right. <laughs> with, 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 you know, from all the licentiousness that was going on in the, yes. in the house. Yeah. Thir- 13, I think, were confirmed, I think, or speculated that was the number. They, like 13 those, infants. Those, those are the touches that I love about this book. Yeah. <laughs> That is so, I mean, it's not really all that important, but it's such a creepy concept. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, those are the touches he throws in that I love. Was there any, um, and I, I also forgot how, I, I kind of, I mean, I knew, I knew this was part of it, but I forgot how very sexualized everything is. Well, that was part of Belasco's, right, hedonistic Sure. Right. Mania or however, whatever you want to describe it was this kind of, and it is the, the, the novel does get highly sexualized and part of the ten, I mean, there's kind of tension everywhere. Right. So you mentioned there's tension between Barrett and Tanner. There's also tension between Edith Barrett, the wife of the scientist and Florence Tanner, because Edith, um, when, as she observes Florence Tanner, who was an actress and is very beautiful, you know, described as being a very beautiful woman, she, Edith, notices those things about Florence, how beautiful she is, you know, what she looks like. And she is put sometimes, at least once or twice, into some awkward positions where she needs to either be very close to her physically or to see her naked. And there's tension there. She it's she feels uncomfortable there's kind of hints toward sexual attractiveness right kind of to it as well so that's an it's it's another tension point right in the book among among the characters and it really yeah that that he builds on yeah and it was just because this is this is something i think this is one of the reasons this book is so good shirley jackson did this very well um, and he does it extremely well, but he does it, it, it's more, I think, involves all of the characters, whereas in Shirley Jackson's book, it was really just the one character who right. goes through this psychological journey. In Matheson's case, he puts all of them, all four of the characters are impacted by the house psychologically. And it's these little things, right? Um, like Like any good, you know, tactician will do right you'll find any advantage and the horror in this book comes about in part because of these tiny cracks right in the relationships that the malevolence you know the malevolence is able to take advantage of right and and build on and work on and he sets it up i my personal view he sets it up really nicely and he even does it from perspective so most of, I don't know if, if you noticed this, but kind of most of um, the um, kind of perspective from the people you get through their internal dialogue about things. 
Right. right? They're thinking about, oh, well, I'm, you know, gee, I wonder, should I have done this? Right. Or boy, that was kind of weird. Um, and so you get this, they're kind of internal workings, but you also get the external perspective of just the really good storytelling, as well as the perspective of other characters reacting to it. He does a, I think does a really nice job of very quickly getting those, getting those key psychological characteristics out and then very quickly, the house, right, the, the malevolence starts working um, on those cracks right? yeah, I think, and starts working and starts, you know, dividing to conquer. And I think the sexual angle is very good, too, because uh, Edith is, you know, it's 1970 when he's writing this. She's obviously very repressed sexually. Yes, she doesn't get any real sexual gratification from her husband due to his either physical um, issues or mental I think it's issues. Hinted, to, it's kind of it's hinted at that it's that it's kind of both. Kind and I think of, he yeah. even he even acknowledges that just it just slightly. And you're right. I mean, it's not over. You know, it's not explicit, nor is it overly done. And but I think there's clearly more than just the polio. And Florence is a bit of a prude as well. Yes. Um, so, you know, you wonder if if they were both, you know, very, very uh, adventuresome sexually, if if the, you know, spirit, if the house would have taken a different tack, mm. but that was the perfect tack to take, yes. um, you know, because uh, uh, Edith gets um, and she's basically she's not it's not really it's not Edith. She's. Uh, possessed is not the right word, but she's kind of sleepwalking and, and, um, you know, she's hypersexualized and she's going yes. after, she's going after Ben. Right. And Ben is admirably fighting her off and, and helping her. Um, you know, and Barrett knows this, but there's still a sense of jealousy, even though he knows it's, it's, yep. Not as really his wife, and she, you know, and and, the, and a sense of betrayal, and a sense of anger, betrayal, even right, all much, those things, yeah. As much as this uh, uh, is, he can't. Some of that seeps in. Florence is, um, but I'm sorry, just b- before you move off of the Barrett's, though, what's also really nice about it, though, is he doesn't leave it at that, right? Because their husband and wife, they talk about it. Yeah, yes, right? they do. Yeah. And they and they they begin to start, you know, they kind of agree that, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff going on. They're both under stress. There's definitely this energy in the house that's, you know, resulting in things. Even he, who's not right, he doesn't believe there's any kind of will behind it. He acknowledges that these things, of course, are happening. And he under- also acknowledges that people can be affected by it in different ways. And so... There, there is that acknowledgement that that's going on, but and and the acknowledgement by the two of them that maybe this is uncovering for them some aspects of their relationship that they need to work on. Right, and I thought I, I and it, to me again, this is this is one of the reasons Matheson is a great writer is that he gives you complete characters. Yeah, they're really well drawn. They really are. And and he respects his characters, right? To to allow them to do those things that you would see, I think, married couples to do, right? They're they're really well done. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to Oh no, no, to that's that. all right. Because um, you know, there's uh, 
there's a, 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 a almost a physical assault in the in the great hall mm. where Florence uh, kind of gets mad at Barrett's attitude and things start flying around the room yes. and he gets injured. Um, she believes she's contacted uh, Blasco's son Daniel, and you know within the world of the book, she's having conversation with them. Um, he's hitting on her. He's mm-hmm. trying to get into bed with her. Well, he's more than hitting on her. And she's begging. Uh, <laughs> and um, he's begging, begging. And please, please, please. And she's please. she's basically treating him like a uh, immature, um, spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a a um, later on in the book though. There's a good scene when the the only phone in the house is in the front hall. And the way I pictured it, it was like one of those phones from Vietnam where you got to kind of crank it up and take it out of the, you know. But there is an old phone disconnected in her room and it rings one night. Yes. And you hear her say, no. Yes. And he, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. He's, he's, he's calling her up for a date. Yep. And they, and they, they eventually do have, um, <laughs> they do have intercourse, at least from, um, uh, Florence's perspective. And yes, yes. That almost that that when she opens her eyes and sees what's on top of her. Yes. It pretty much it it kind of breaks her. It it does, but then it's it, 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 so there's some plot spoilers here but it's old enough book and and quite frankly, I don't think it matters that you know what happens in this book because I've I've read it before, I've seen the movie, you know, before, right? I I know this story I can say backwards and forwards, but quite well, right? So when I read it for purposes of our podcast, nothing, nothing was particularly new. I mean, I've forgotten a few things, but, um, but uh, of course, the you know the, the the setup is that they they're trying to set the son Daniel Belasco free, right? She wants him to move on. They do all the things that they think should do it. They give him a proper burial because they find his body. Well, this is what she thinks is important. Yes. So and she, the, the others are kind of humoring her to a certain extent. Right. But he doesn't go on, right? From She she keeps having these... Um, uh, uh, they, they, they find his body. Daniel, yeah, they find his body. They bury him. Cask, cask of Amontillado style. They find his body chained. Right. <laughs> chained alive and then bricked up and they, yeah. they give him what, what she calls a consecrated burial and all this right. is supposed to work like right. you do that it's, it's and over. he's gone right he's but gone. he's still around he's still doing his stuff and he's begging to have sex with her so and he says she, he can't she, leave because of his dad he can't leave because of his dad and that this is the only way and which is like really one and and yeah i mean and it's this constant it's it's Constant, constant, constant. Oh, he he be, he be canceled today. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very much so. So she she finally she she rationalizes and says this will help him right. move on, and yeah. so she agrees to it. Um, and of course, it's actually a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like such a good idea at the time, <laughs> right? And Supernatural pity fuck. She becomes, you know, possessed. It's just hard. I mean, it's horrible. Har- you know, really horrible. She is possessed. She's com- kind of lost. And what's great is that what happens to her, right, as she's, you know, her, you know, her perspective on all of this is, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is terrible. And the ghost taunts her 
oh, relentlessly yeah. afterwards. Yes, it's really about how just like you know, like you know, he he mocks himself, saying, "Oh, please, please, please," right? You know, at, and he mocks her. And, it's I mean, bad, it's just, bad boyfriend behavior. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, it is. It is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Just, it's, oh. It's terrible. It really terrible is. Guy. It's one thing that I reading the book this time was one of the things that was m- most affecting to me. Struck was struck that me as well. Funny. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, funny yeah, yeah. that this that this uh, vengeful vengeful entity is is just like riding her teeth, bullying her, teasing her, and it's just. Uh, maybe it's because I'm older now that I see that behavior. It's like the other stuff is like, oh, you can throw a dish at me, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it hasn't happened before, <laughs> but just that 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 cruel bullying behavior is yeah. almost worse than any other supernatural manifestations. Yeah. Um, Barrett has one real interesting. The, the one I like for the one I found like. Probably the creepiest is when he's in the steam room. Mm. <clears throat> Somehow gets locked in. A classic situation. Edith goes to get help. He gets locked in. He's looking for the 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 valve to turn off the steam. Right, because it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And he touches yeah. something like gelatinous and and oozing. And he hears it first. Right? And he, he hears, hears it. He doesn't know whether it's real or not, or something playing sli- tricks on him. Ugh. Something slithering, snake like across the across the steam room and man of science that he is, he still, he still starts getting creeped out and ultimately, you know, confesses that. Yeah. It, it, it pretty much scared the crap out of him. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, now, interestingly, Fisher sees a lot, but very little, um, very, he gets very little attention from the house. Well, as he says, uh, <clears throat> Belasco House doesn't mind a few visitors, particularly if you don't mind, you know, a little bit of fun. Um, and but what it does not like is anybody trying to come and figuring it out. And that's the concept. So in Stir Echoes, there's a very simple concept that I, I don't know if anyone's ever done before. But in the Stir of Echoes, in the novel and in the movie as well, you know, it's the classic setup of. Somebody's being haunted, and he's going to try to figure out, you know, there's, there's a haunting. Wants wants the you know wants the ghost to be at rest, so you got to find out who killed it, and you're probably not really in contact. You see the spirit, but in Stir of Echoes, you know, you know, typically the ghost will lead you to the killer, but in Stir mm-hmm. of Echoes, the ghost doesn't know who killed her because yes. she was killed in the dark. Right, so simple, logical. Yep. straightforward but i love that little touch in this yeah. case as you say what we ultimately find out is um if you just want to go and look at the antiques in belasco house if you want to go maybe maybe uh steal a thing or two if you want to go with your buddies and hang out there and drink it's perfectly safe yeah probably nothing you might you some things might happen but it's not going to kill you um it doesn't want it, it it hits back when it's being attacked and it feels it's being attacked when the secret when its secret is in danger. Right. That's when things get ugly. And there is yeah. there is a secret. And it's it's not a momentous secret. 
Um, it's, not, it's, <laughs> it's almost comical in a way. It is. It's not, I will say, it is, I think, the one big flaw in this story. There, there's one or two, I think, smaller ones um, that I would point to, but but this is the this is the thing that the the, the kind of the, the secret it in in my it work it, it it kind of works right, but it it just it's a little bit anticlimactic. You expect a bigger secret, yeah, a deeper, darker secret, yeah. Um, so. But we should talk about before we, you know, before we get to the the ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Barrett brings his reverser. What, what you yes. Yes. He brings very... this, this machine that's going to take like hours to set up, and it's like dials, and it's huge, and it's big, and but essentially, what it's going to do is just drain the energy from the house, and once that happens, Barrett assures everyone. You know, the mediums won't pick up any bad vibes and the house is just going to be a house. It's going to be quiet, yep. peaceful, and we'll hang out and celebrate. Um, yep. And uh, that's what he does. And uh, it works. And it appears to work. He he turns it on. They leave yes. because apparently it, it emits radiation. I don't know. What, what is the, doesn't the federal government regulate these things? <laughs> <laughs> It's like <laughs> so power emits so much radiation that they have to leave the house for a few hours. Right. Because of the thing, um, otherwise, yeah. No. And then they go Under back. Under the in. radar of the NRC, right? This is where Ghostbusters got there, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> does, does he have a patent? Uh, but anyways, they go back in. Everything's like, but even Fisher, who's very Fisher's Fisher's whole take on this is. Um, you guys, you think you're fighting Sugar Ray Leonard, but you're really fighting three Mike Tysons at their prime. Yeah. You don't, and you don't get it. Yeah. And that's why I'm not going to open up. And that's why I'm really, I've really been kind of safe. And he has been, and he has been safe. And it's interesting because there gets to a point in the story where uh, uh, Florence has been, um, you know, attacked by a cat she's been attacked by a ghost, right? So she's got, you know, wounds and scratches and all this stuff. And she's obsessed with her perspective. Barrett has been battered by plates and, you know, furniture and all this stuff. And he is, he is completely fixated on proving his theory and, and setting up his machine to, to do this stuff. Edith for two nights in a row, I mean, she almost, walks into the bastard bog and drowns and right. she has this you know she's over sexualized with with fisher she's going crazy and there's a point in the book where i think fisher starts to drink a little bit and he's talking yes. to the barrett's and he says you're all crazy you don't see what's going on you are all being impacted by this and you're all gonna die. <laughs> you should. You should all leave. You should all and if, leave. If you don't want to leave. At least get your wife out of here. And I should yeah. take. I should take Florence out of here. But yeah. But we know that's not gonna happen. But it's and but it's funny really... part too is you can leave. It's yeah. not like one of those. Oh, we went to the door and the door won't open. You can leave. Yeah. It's and it, it would be fine if you left. Yep. It would be like 
All right. Well, you're not going to find out the you're not attacking the house anymore. Leave. Yes. You know, but in a in a lesser story, I think you know they would try to leave, and the the doors right. would slam shut, and right. they'd be stuck there. And yes, right, exactly. Um. Yeah. The machine. The machine works. Um. Uh, and then things. You know. But then gr- it doesn't. <laughs> it's great because um. That he sees, he thinks everything's fine, and Barrett thinks everything's fine. And then he sees the needle twitch, mm-hmm. and then it twitches again. He's like, this is preposterous. This can't be happening. Right. Um, so I thought that 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 was a good that was a good twist. It 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 was, and it was and it was done it was done really, I thought, really well. Um, but, but ultimately, um as we come up on the hour here, uh, you know, feel free to talk about what you want. But I, I'll spoil it. I mean, four people go in the house, ultimately to come out it is um fisher who discovers the secret and it's in the chapel we forgot to mention the chapel before but there's this like profane chapel yes there's a crucifix but of course jesus has a tremendous erection um you know this is like terrible murals on the wall or tapestries showing profane type of things um uh, and you know, Edith leaves. Uh, oh, um, Barrett dies. Barrett drowns. Yeah. Well, so 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 first, Florence gets possessed, and she figures out a way to suppress her her um, possessor by causing herself pain. And thinks she's got it figured out and goes to the chapel because she's had a very hard time going to the chapel. Um, and uh, is, is the, the crucifix falls on her, injures her greatly, but then she, she ends up killing herself um, because she doesn't think she'll, she's ever going to um, escape. The house is not going to let her go. And she believes... Uh, and and then she finds something, right? We don't really know what, but she figures something out. And she tries to signal um, everybody else by drawing something with her own blood on the floor. Yeah, she um, she's she has a theory. Her her theory, and Benjamin isn't convinced yet, but he's not necessarily a naysayer. Is that the house is filled with spirits of right. dead people? But they're controlled by Belasco. His, right. his, his, he had such strength of will that it survived his death. And even though there's a bunch of spirits in the house, including his son, Belasco, even in the afterlife, can control these entities and right. have them do. So it's Belasco controlling Daniel when Daniel's, uh, you know, basically raping, um, Florence, um, she sees other. Uh, she gl- catches this glimpse of other uh, ghosts in the house at various time to time. So mm-hmm. that's her working theory. He's such a powerful, malevolent force that he can control a house full of ghosts. And apparently, this would be uh, this the would be only. like a unique yeah situation in the I guess the parapsychology world. Right. So not to interrupt, but. That was an important no, no. point. Yeah, no. So she she figures something out and she draws a B within a circle. 
so she she dies. They take her out of the house and set up Barrett's machine. Expunges all of the ghosts. Um, and he, he um, goes for a celebratory swim. Yes, he goes <laughs> goes for a celebratory swim. But but Ben brings um brings he brings Florence's body <laughs> into town. Oh, that but, was Ben. Uh, Ben does that. Yeah, Ben. Ben brings Florence's body into. I said Lionel goes for the swim. Yes, Lionel goes for the swim, but uh, then Lionel's you know happily chortling away. Edith is upstairs, kind of getting stuff ready to go, and he goes and he takes a look at the machine. The needles start jumping, and and he gets killed. He's killed. Thrown into the pool, and uh, where he drowns. Um. Yep. And then Edith (laughs) almost gets killed. She has kind of a, I can't remember the main character's name in um, the, the, uh, the shining. Um, Jack. Not the, uh, yeah. In the shining. Uh, Yeah. Jack. uh, What's his name? Uh, Jack Torrance. Yeah. Torrance. At one point in, in the shining, he gets, he goes through the house and he, or or not he, I guess maybe his wife goes through the house and, and she sees kind of all of these, scenes um from the house's past same thing kind of happens in um to edith as she's trying to get through the house she just sees like all of these people who have died there right and and episodes of their existence their horrible existence she sees a man decapitating a woman and you know someone engaged in cannibalism all this stuff um and is almost killed but ben rescues her and, and uh, yeah, Ben decides to go back, and, and uh, he decides to go back. Yeah, it, it tries hand at things, and uh, he gets he gets kind of fucked up uh, until he gets control of himself and gets to the. And Edith does come back in. Edith, yeah, Edith, well, she she saves him. Yep, she comes back in. They're both in the chapel, and they uncover the secret of blast. You want to spoil it, or should we just leave it at that? Um, no, I mean, I don't think it's a huge spoiler because it, it is, I think, kind of falls a little bit short. I mean, I think conceptually it works and, I, and there may have been a way to do it better. But it, but essentially what Ben discovers is that Belasco, of course, has this tremendous ego, right? Um, and kind of one of the things that he seems to have done is shown himself to be really all that's there in the house. It's all just him. It's him. And he is just kind of showing people um, kind of what he wants them to see or what he perceives is going to work on them. So the whole Daniel Belasco persona Ben figures out is something that kind of uh, Florence kind of picked up on a bit. And because of experiences in her past, um, her brother's early death, uh, and his relation, his her brother's relationships with a woman, all this kind of played into kind of her perspective on what was going on with with Daniel Belasco and and Emmerich Belasco kind of used that to kind of you know push her along in that direction. But it was all actually just Emmerich Belasco, and before anybody is killed, including Ben and Edith, he kind of shows himself to them. Um, and kind of reveals in a way that that secret. So there's this ego component, but um, there's uh, 
weird sort of a thing is this massive ego is compensating for something, which is that Emmerich was not actually the roaring giant. He was actually a fairly small person. He had a stunted legs, right? They stunted were, legs, yes. Which he had removed and then had um, some uh, type of ambulatory... <laughs> Ambulatory, uh, like false legs that yeah. made him, uh, like six the foot eight or whatever. Yes, yes. yeah. Uh, but he's in the house. He's dead. Yes, they he's, find he's him. in the wall behind the chapel, which is lead lined. Mm-hmm. Which is why Barrett's machine didn't get rid of all of the, didn't get rid of Belasco. Yeah, because. because Belasco was able to retreat within, or at least a part of him was able to retreat within the sanctuary in the chapel. Yeah, what Fisher and Edith figure out is um, that the machine, you know, weakened him. Yes. It wasn't a complete victory. Like, Barrett was wrong about it being a complete victory, but he wasn't completely wrong. Right. It had weakened him to such an extent that he could retreat back to... And then they theorize that, you know, then Fisher theorizes that even Blasco must have known, you know, that he it was energy. So he built yeah. this kind of kind of lead lines sanctuary, uh, sanctuary yes. and, um, you know, uh, and then, um, you know, here's I mean, are we done talking about that uh, story proper? Yeah. For that. Um, the, the kicker is Deutsch is dead. Yeah, the son. Right. <laughs> the son thinks his dad was crazy and is never gonna pay. Yep, and nothing was in writing, and yep. so they're never gonna get. They're never gonna get the money. Uh, but there are. Uh, you have this house. You have four people. Four go in. Two come out. Um, no one's from Maine. Uh, the owner of the house is now dead, and the son probably will deny knowing them. What's the legal situation like up there right now? With now they, not only do they bring Florence's body in, they got to bring Lionel Barrett's body in too to the medical examiner. So you got this. Your husband's dead too, and yeah, the other but, woman's dead been, too. And what the right? They've both they've both been beaten, and one of them brutalized. Committed, yeah, one of them probably committed suicide, but but clearly had been abused prior to that. The other one had been beaten and abused and drowned. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I'm not letting them out of this. Thing. <laughs> uh, I don't want you to leave town. <laughs> I just want to like because at the end it's like Merry Christmas, so they you get the feeling they're going to go their separate ways. But it's like, wait a second. They probably have some explaining to do. Yes. And I wonder how that's going to go down. <laughs> I, all I can picture is like this, you know, county sheriff up in Maine, some rural part of Maine, scratching his head, listening yeah. to this story. But yeah, he doesn't go into that. So we don't know what happens. I think that's the sequel, is the trial of Benjamin <laughs> Franklin Fisher and Edith Barrett. Good big. Good, very well big. Uh, one of my favorite horror stories. I'm I'm glad I read it again. Yeah, it's such an easy read. It's it's there's interesting stuff in it. There's little there's little nuances that only a really good writer can. Like I love the idea. I'll go back to it again. I think one of uh, it may be an innovation. It may not be for all I know. I'm not you know a huge horror fan. It's not like I 
I've read everything there is to, to read, but I have to believe the idea that, you know, the haunted house is pretty much perfectly harmless unless you attack it. And in this case, the attack would have been, again, trying to figure out this Emmerich Belasco secret. Otherwise, it's perfectly harmless. I, I yes. have a feeling that's if, if, if not unique, that's probably a rare, um, a rare concept in a haunted house. Yeah. Um, a haunted house story or movie. Typically, you get the they walk in, the door slams shut, <laughs> you know, bars come down over the windows, and they're stuck there endless, like a bloodthirsty. But this one is like, yeah, come on in. Just um, you know, don't overstay your welcome. Be good guests, and uh, you're, you're probably going to be fine. I really, um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think everything that I've read by Matheson has something unique about it. Right. Uh, and great writer, wonderful stuff. I love this, this novel also. I love the history of the house. Yes. I love how it's described. You know, I mean, it really just comes up from time to time as they're working through things. And it's really just like, I think maybe a paragraph or two of Fisher just narrating the history of the house. I mean, it, 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 it can't be more than maybe 10 sentences, right. Where he gives you that, you know, in one sitting that history and everything else is just kind of little tidbits you get here and there. Love that. I love the fact that there were these two prior yep. investigations yes, yes. and you don't know a ton of what happened. Although Fisher in some of his thinking about things reflects on his experiences it's just done just really just so well. And yeah. And really, I got to say just when I first read this book, it scared the behejus out of me. Um, There were parts of it that were just as scary as things out of Salem's lot, right? Which we talked about before. There were some like truly frightening moments in, in Salem's lot. And I think the same was true. Certainly the first reading for me in, in hell house. And um, I, I'll just say this, um, the 1973 movie that was made, um, I think is actually pretty good um, and adheres pretty closely to the book. I like the movie. I think uh, it's funny. It should be, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I do like the movie. I think it's a good early 70s haunted house movie. Yep. Um, that house they use does not look like it's been boarded up for 30 years. No. Uh, that's a fault I find with it. Yeah. That it could have looked a little more dingy. And what one would expect, um, even, you know, even despite the fact, yeah, they got a generator and yes, people probably came in and cleaned up a little bit for them and things like that. That's a movie, though, even if you still set it in the 70s. That could do with a remake. It, it could do with a remake. Hopefully not the way they kind of remade The Haunting. Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> no, I was thinking more along the lines of somebody who makes those... Um, uh, what, what are the... Uh, I'm, um, the uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren... Uh, Don't know what you're talking about. You know, the the... the Damn. 
I'm having a senior moment here. I was thinking of, I'll tell you what I was thinking of, as you mentioned in a remake, the, 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 the two guys who made the movie insidious or somebody. Yeah. That I, I think they could do a good job with, with this. Yeah. It, it would have to be serious. It should be in the, it should be in the seventies. Yep. You know, and then other people will see the thing about Matheson would be a lesser writer would give you too much detail about the 30 and 41 expedition and, and kind of too much detail about what went on in the house. Mm-hmm. He just gives you these, just enough to tease your, you know, tease you wet your appetite. Just enough. And his description of what, what went on in that house is just, yeah, <laughs> it really is kind of chilling. It is. Well, it's interesting. The other thing I was thinking about was it would be really interesting to see if there's any fan fiction that um, addresses either the history of the house or the history of those two previous investigations. Because it yeah. seems to me to be just such a rich, I mean, you know, these, there's so much that's left unsaid, right, that you could really get in there, you know. No, today, and, today someone would make a movie about Emmerich Belasco and 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 a victim. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There's people making fun of him. It's and, like the first you know, <laughs> the original incel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, him and the Joker. Uh, we've got Emmerich to blame for Trump. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I. Uh, it could use a remake, a good remake. I think it's time, and I think some of the flaws in the seventies, the early seventies. I think it's seventy. I think you're right. It's seventy three. Could be um, maybe maybe fixed, but you got to you can't you can't do a modern take. You got to set it. No, no cell phones. Yes, no cell phones. It's got no computers. Be... No yep. no emails and all that. No, I think it should be set in the or even the early eighties. But it has to be yep. has to be before social media and um you know ease of travel and ease of getting in and out of of area isolated place um and communication is is limited and i think i think it could definitely definitely um think somebody come come up with a good movie or you know a two three four part netflix amazon prime type of show be very cool be very cool i definitely watch it speaking of um Unless you have anything else you want to add, have uh, do you got something for what are we uh, been reading or watching? Yeah, so um, I've just started to read um, the Parable of Talent. I think it's called the Parable of Talents by Octavia Butler, and it is a um, post-apocalyptic novel and. Um, about a, I'm not really completely sure what it's ultimate, what I would say it's ultimately about, but the setting is um, these people who have come together in Northern California to form a bit of a community and, and it's a, a kind of religious based community and it's about their trials and tribulations. And so and far post, post-apocalyptic. Yeah. And it's not really a kind of like a single event Apocalypse. It's kind of the. It's kind. Of, it, it it's interesting. It I think 
and I think it was written in around 2010, but I could be wrong, but they have a, she has a character in there who is a Senator from Texas who is running for president and he is, you know, Uber Christian, but not really. <laughs> right. But <laughs> says he ever? is. Right. Uh, yeah. And guess what his campaign theme is? Make America great again. It is exactly that. Yeah. That's not an original. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's uh, so funny. No, but, but it's, I was going to uh, say was the, the, the apocalypse uh, culminated, you know, you said it was a series of events, but the last one being a second Trump term. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's it's this kind of you know it's there you know it's in uh, climate change you know the the effects of that um, together with some you know wars here and there I mean it, it's this it, it's it's not some big event it's not like I don't know if you ever read The Road or saw the movie The Road right. where something happened unexplained but something happens and you know you're left with a world falling apart it's not quite that it's um, uh, it's it, it, it kind of takes seriously um, the notion of what would happen if kind of all the bad things that we see happening in the world today kind of kind of continued down that bad path, right? So the American Republic has really not completely fallen apart, but pretty much fallen apart, you know? Um, so how is it? It's good. I like it. It's written very well. I mean, Octavia Butler is a has been an author that I've wanted to read for a long time. Um, she, I can't remember when I first became aware of her, but she's always been spoken of very highly. Um, kind of a you know somewhat at least somewhat science fiction, um, and it, it's interesting because the story kind of has a very similar not not a similar feel to it, but but has a kind of a similar perspective, I would say, as the, uh, what's her name? There's a, there's a book called Station Eleven that I read yeah, a couple of years ago. It's an HBO yeah. show. And it's, right, it's been turned into an HBO show. And it's kind of similar to that, even though that those are circumstances very different. I mean, there you have, you know, COVID-19, except that it kills 99% of everybody it infects. So very quickly, right, the world has changed. But the, 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 the story is about kind of a community that develops and, and its, its trials and tribulations. And this at least has some elements of that. And so there's a lot of, you know, focus on things that, you know, might be kind of mundane, but not because it's in this sort of circumstance. But so far, I, I really like it. It's a long book. I'm maybe only about a quarter of the way through if that. But um, so far, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I think it's very well written. I think it's very thoughtful. There's a lot going on. I suspect when, we, when I talk to you about it again in the future, I won't say it's about this community. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll right. have some richer explanation. But yeah, no, so far, it's really good. I'm, I'm cool. looking forward to finishing it. Excellent. Excellent. I, I myself found my copy of William L. Shire's Berlin Diary. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow. Wow. Uh, I am reading that. It's 1930. I forget the years. It's 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 like 36 to 39 or something like that. It's not the nightmare years. It's the Berlin Diaries. Yeah. Um. And it's not very comforting. Um. Yeah. In terms of our current, it's you know, 
a lot of parallels. Um, and two things strike struck me really. One is Shire, Shire is writing in nineteen like thirty six, and he's saying, "Well, you know, part of the problem with the German people is they get their news the news from one source." Yeah. Um, they're shut off from you know other kind of sources of information. They they go to the party, you know, the the, the party news and. They get them all riled up, and that's all they hear, and that's that's you know all they know or think they know. And the other was he wrote an article, um, like some minor at the time. Well, not at the time, but you know, one of the Nazis uh, that interacts with journalists and you know foreign correspondents starts blasting him and calling him a liar and Shire said this about that and all this sort sorts of things. So Shire just gets like really pissed off just barges into his office shows him the article he goes the article you said i wrote doesn't exist here's what i wrote you're wrong i expect an apology and i want you to you know next time you're you're giving a speech or ranting and raving on the radio you say i was mistaken shire never did that and of course the guy yells back and shire yells and back and forth and back and forth nothing's resolved he says these people don't admit mistakes and they won't retract anything even when you show them they're wrong they they you know will will they say something it's said it's true and they move on there's no yeah. there's no apology there's no acknowledgement of oops you know what kind of screwed up on that one and i'm looking at that and I'm, I'm and, and a few more too and i'm thinking you know the parallels say what you want the parallels exist they're there and it's not a it's not a very comforting book to read, but it's amazing, despite you know all the decades in between, you know that and you know what what is going on in this country. And it's like all this has been done before. This is you know it's it's a difference in degree, but not of kind. And Shire's writing about this firsthand. Like oftentimes, the day it happens or the day after it happens, you're getting his unvarnished. Um, non-journalistic take on things and uh, everyone should read it yeah good stuff I read that uh, a while ago and I also read the rise and fall of the um, third Reich the third Reich that's a huge that's that's an undertaking that's a long 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 book but um, yeah I like I, 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 I don't think I read nightmare years which is I think his correspond his kind of his take on what it was like in Germany during the war before he had to leave. Right. I believe. But um, yeah, fascinating guy, interesting guy. And that, you know, Europe kind of between the wars for yeah. an American correspondent, that's quite interesting. It is. And, and, you know, it's, you know, one of the things that um, I, I think is a word that needs more usage um, these days, and I think was more prevalent, um, actually back at the time, is to describe that kind of, you know, attitude, approach, whatever you want to say. You know, it's fanatical. And it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a good word, right? It's that this belief system, this set of beliefs, or whatever you want to describe it, these things are true. Right. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, because there's a 
bigger program at work that I am a part of. And that sort of, uh, that sort of fanaticism. And I think that is a good word. And I think it's the right word for it is something that I think we're seeing, you know, today a lot more. And I don't know that it's funny. I was, I can't can't remember who I was talking to. Maybe I was talking to you and I, I kind of commented on this is that, there's a lot out there, right? You can go, you know, Google, right? How republics fall, right? How, how do strong men, right? Uh, destroy democracies, right? Lots of things you can, here's the way you do it. I've not seen anybody really describe how you counter it effectively. Good point. You know, and I, and I don't know the, I don't know the answer to the, you know, to that question. And, and I, I, I have a sense that there, some of it just has to burn out a bit naturally. And I think some of it is just slow, steady, you know, work on things. I mean, so for example, um, I think we're beginning to see that or we've, we've, I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but we're beginning to see it, I mean, more and more of people kind of leaving Donald Trump. Um, and it's because slowly but surely, kind of everybody who was around him in the good times are turning around and saying terrible things about him now, right? And the veneer is beginning to start to come off a bit. And people are beginning to kind of turn away from him. Now, the question is, do you turn to somebody else as your champion? Or does the, you know, do the darker angels of that movement um, simply dissipate? And I don't know the answer to, to that question. I, I, I wish I did, but I'm personally not optimistic, but yeah, I mean, I think everybody should read Berlin diaries. I think, you know, reading portions of rise and fall of the third Reich would be a good idea too. I mean, I think, um, well, I think uh, journalists should read um, Berlin diaries, but that's, that's, that's for another rant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Okay. That's good. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you want uh, you want to meet up again in like ten minutes and do uh, a movie, or you want to call it quits? I will go grab another glass of wine and happily speak some more if you'd like. Yeah. Why not? Um, All right. We'll sign off for now, and uh, I'll I'll uh, be in touch in like uh, like ten or fifteen minutes. Sounds good. All right, man. Bye bye.